Greetings, everyone. This is a Sound Health Option Show with Richard Talk to Me Guy, and Sherry Edwards is off working like a crazy person. Not really crazy, but I mean, she's when she's on tasks, she's on it, and she is on the SoundHealthPortal.com, working away at that, developing it every day. I mean, it's really. I say this every week, and every however every week it is true. She comes up with something new or a new chart or demo that just blows my mind of seeing an amazing amount of data taken in from doing a vocal profile. And what that means is you can go to soundhealthportal.com, sign up for a free account, and then click on services, and then look at campaigns. And the campaigns are the services that you can get free, and they rotate through them. Currently, I, I just checked before we started, and some of the campaigns there are PTSD, bio diet, a personal favorite, neuroplasticity, always looking at how the brain's working and what's going on up there. And you can do, uh, so you sign up for a free account, you do two 45-second recordings, and they'll walk you through this when you sign up and you choose to do this. You do the two 45-second recordings right to the computer. You then choose the campaign you'd like your vocal analysis done on, and within a couple of hours to not more than 10, I don't think I've ever waited, you'll get a vocal print in the, as an email with an information on how the software that Sherry has designed and looks at your vocal print, looks at the imbalances. So if something is hypertonistic too much or hypotonistic too little and shows the markers and gives you just a boatload of information that you can then sit down and I suggest having a cup of tea and relaxing because the first time you look at a vocal report, it's really mind-blowing. All that information came from your voice. And secondarily, it's just a lot of information. And then you could also take it to your healthcare practitioner and talk about it. Another aspect of the soundhealthportal.com is the Nano Voice, which is Sherry's old free software that's now available online, which is great, which I use a lot. I'll do a similar thing where I'll go in, and you can just do the use the Nano Voice right there at the site. You don't have to sign up or do anything. You can just use it. And what I'll do with the Nano Voice is if I want to look at a food or a supplement that I want to add to my diet, I'll take a dual vocal recording. I'll get the report. I'll take the supplement and I'll wait about 20 to 30 minutes and then I'll do another vocal print or another vocal recording on the nano voice and compare the two. It doesn't give as much information as the full workup, but it gives enough to see if there's a shift again up or down or it acts in a way that you're not looking for like, well, I should monitor that for a while to see if that's going to work for me. And it's right there. It's available. It's online. It's your voice showing you amazing amounts of great information. There's a number of demos if you go to soundhealthoptions.com and I think it's clicked on media or I think it's media. You can see demos that Sherry has done that are available online showing using the Sound Health Portal and how it works. It's really, truly amazing. It's an amazing resource now available to us online instead of Back in the back in the old days, which was only a couple of years ago, um, you had to carry a computer and and do it all on a local basis, meaning using your own computer. Now it's available online anytime, anywhere, which I find to be extraordinary. This is the time at which I talk about podcasting, not a word you'll hear me use very often. Uh, the the information from Dr. Berlando today is really amazing. Uh, I've listened to a number of his shows at AlphaCast and read his materials, and it's he's got a, a great overview and also some very interesting targeted ideas. And you can get this show after I click end episode here and you hear the outro music. You can go back to soundhealthoptions.com, click on radio, then click on Sound Health Radio, and you'll see the link there back to the show notes and to um, be able to find the chat and all that information here at Blog Talk Radio. 
or you can go to your favorite podcast aggregator, which means something like Google Podcasts or Stitcher or iTunes or my personal favorite, Pocket Cast, and you can search for either Sherry Edwards or Talk to Me Guy and find just about 700 hours of shows available with all sorts of great information on, boy, we've talked to a lot of people. And you'll be able to find that. And with either Stitcher or Google Podcasts or Pocket Casts, you can easily share that so that if you have somebody after you listen to the show you want to share this information with, it's really easy to do. You just go to any of those, search for Sherry Edwards or Talk to Me Guy, and you'll find the show. And Somewhere each one is a little different about how you do it, but there's a place somewhere. Sometimes it's the little dots up in the corner or the hamburger, which is just the vertical lines, and you click on that and there will be a share function. It can share this podcast with them. And this, this show with Bear is going to be one of those shows. With that, as founder and formulator for Alphavetic, Dr. Bear Landau traveled an eclectic path through athletics and academics in becoming a physician, kinesiologist, functional movement specialist, and master gardener permaculturalist. Beekeeping, resilient science, and medicinal herb farming are his present endeavors with permaculture and master gardener certifications from Oregon State University. Dr. Lando is still involved with the consulting and teaching of integrative medicine systems, including sound therapies. Presently overseeing Alphavetic Gardens off-grid permaculture farm, specializing in biodynamically grown medicinal herbs that are the basis of the Alphavetic line of herbal spagyrics and medicinal teas. Dr. Baer joins us to talk about creating a genuine science-based system of functional medicine. Welcome, Baer. Hey, good morning. How are you doing? I'm good. It's sunny. It's not raining. We're not on fire in California. I'm happy. (laughs) And and I was surprised. I thought you would be coming from the Midwest uh, and Sherry's neighborhood there, but I understand you're actually not that far away from me. So you're in, where in Alma are you? I'm in in an area north of, uh, just outside the town of Sonoma a moment in an area called Fetter Hot Springs or Agua Caliente, um, where there was, this part of California was known, renowned for all of the hot water, organic hot water coming out of the earth where people would come and soak. And I, yeah. actually back in the day when, when Petaluma was the, Barber, the second Barbary coast, uh, there would be swanky hotels up here where people would come and take the waters. I don't know that we ever used that phrase in America, but that's more of a European thing thing, taking the waters, meaning soaking in organic water, hot water coming out of the earth, which has all sorts of wonderful benefits and feels amazing. Uh, So that's where I live, in that area. I know the area very well. When uh, we were kids in the 50s, uh, you know, we grew up out in West Marin there. We were from, uh, I was a dairy ranching family. And uh, my mother used to take me up there. They had swimming pools with the uh, mineral waters, and that was one of our favorite destinations to go up there in the middle of the summer. So uh, a lot of fond memories. And as you remember, too, back in the 50s, Marin County and Sonoma was uh, unrecognizable compared to what it is today. We were actually country kids back then. And uh, yeah, yeah. that area was settled. Uh, my ancestors, you know, came from Italy. And uh, there's a, a large Italian presence there, and uh, they kind of imported their culture from the country, which, uh, you know, included, uh, you know, growing food, living on the land, and then also really taking advantage of all the natural features, and, and they just loved the hot springs and everything in that area. But anyway, hey, so uh, glad to talk to you and get to know you a little bit, and thanks so much for having me. And I'll just follow your lead, and and we can talk about whatever you'd like here. Okay, um, we could do a whole show. We could do a whole other show sometime talking about uh, many of the cultures that uh, Marin, and even more so in Sonoma County, where they came here for the the swanky term is terroir, which is the quality of the earth up here. And it's a, it, this was one of the original in California, one of the original wine growing areas where many of the, let's say, Sebastiani, I'm not 
marketing Sebastiani, that's just a name that comes to mind. But it was an Italian-founded wine company. And a lot of that is up here. There's a lot of Italian culture. There's a lot of Italian wineries. And they came here because they liked the earth back when we actually had the idea as a foundation of being in relationship to the earth. But that is a separate show. So we won't, because I know both of us could dive down that well easily. Um, well, actually, this, my first question to you relates to this directly. As a foundation of everything that you're doing now, biodynamic farming is part of that. What is biodynamic farming and why do you feel it's so important to the products that you produce and to what you're probably eating and living? Well, biodynamic farming was a term coined by a gentleman by the name of Rudolf Steiner. And uh, he's European. And uh, at a certain point in the uh, oh, uh, early 1900s, late 1800s, um, Europe was suffering agriculturally in that their soils were becoming pleated. Now, Rudolf Steiner is well-known amongst uh, students of uh, the occult sciences, we'll say, for lack of a better term. And I just happened to have been a long, uh, long time of his uh, back in, um, oh, in the 80s. I became friends with a gentleman who's a very, very well-known musicologist uh, from Germany. And he was the prominent and Rudolf Steiner expert and teacher back in those days. So we became friends and uh, he introduced me to a lot of the concepts that were just right up my way as far as the type of medicine I was exploring. And uh, so anyway, uh, you know, I just naturally grew uh, everything Rudolf Steiner, including his biodynamic farming, which he brought to Europe during that time to farmers and the entire... Um, you know, the government was very concerned because they were having uh, just uh, concerns about would they be able to feed their population adequately with what was happening to their soil and their crops that weren't thriving. And so he instituted dynamic farming, which is basically going back and following the rhythms of the land and understanding uh, what nature does and then mimicking it in your farming practices. So it was a symbiosis of using farm animals that would, um, you know, do their thing there. You, you know, they, uh, you know, leave their stuff on the ground and that becomes natural fertilizer and then their hooves and everything kind of, uh, you know, work it in even better than uh, plowing. And then they also understood that it wasn't a good idea to disturb the microbial biome of the soil. It's like it's not a good idea to do that in human ecosystems. And so they did a minimum amount of tilling, let the animals do their thing, you know, and, uh, you know, so it became a closed cycle where um, uh, they're planting and and uh, agriculture complete the uh, earth, but actually started rebuilding the topsoil started growing nutrient-rich rich food, and, and uh, so his whole process, um, you know, thrives to this day amongst certain circles of people uh, that are in the permaculture community and just people that understand that uh, the future of humanity really, uh, you know, is interconnected with our ability to, you know, thrive and, and grow nutrient-dense food. And having a you know 40-year-plus career in medicine, of medicine at this point, um, I really see clearly that uh, medicine and agriculture should be one seamless science. And then uh, the last thing I'll say is that Rudolf Steiner also understood. Let's just say what we from these days is the electrical properties of the universe and how we do occupy uh, a conscious electrical universe and, and we have a big say what goes on in our experience and a lot of those concepts are integrated into that level of agriculture where you're looking at things from a much larger perspective. So that would open up a whole large discussion, but I'll let you guide me here. So many shows. I'm bookmarking these. Um, you used a term 
permaculture. Could you describe what what that means also as a foundation? Sure. Permaculture. Is that different than biodynamic? Uh, yes and no. Uh, permaculture, of course, was um, originated in Australia. And um, what that was about is, uh, you know, it's, it's central to the similar concerns in that we have to do a better job managing the earth resources and the soil that feeds us. And permaculture brought in uh, another dimension, which is more about planning. Uh, you know, for instance, if you're farming, you want to understand how to, you know, do similar things that we are concerned about or, or pay attention to in biodynamics but you're looking at zones of uh, development. So when you're planning your farming operation, you want to, you know, really plan things in a practical way so that uh, your farm uh, runs efficiently. You also want to do it in a way where you're, um, you know, growing things in what they term plant guilds, which means uh, having a symbiotic relationship between different plants so that certain plants will benefit other plants in the same guild or the same plant community. So I'm looking outside my window right here as we're talking and we have fruit trees and underneath the canopy of fruit trees, we have, you know, medicinal herbs and other plants that provide elements that the fruit trees need. The fruit trees in turn provide elements, uh, you know, for certain plants. And, and so it's really understanding um, you know, just your whole farming operation and, and making it so it's efficient for you and also so that the planting is done in a design where everything thrives because of each other and isn't competing uh, with each other. And there's another whole level of soil science that uh, uh, I'm involved with, which I think gets right up into your alley there with uh, Sherry and her work where uh, we do biochemical testing of the uh, soil and understand biochemical elements in terms of electricity. And then rather than simply adding uh, fertilizers and elements, we do things to tweak the soil electrically so that the impedance of the soil or the resistance of the soil um, is much more efficient. And then, um, you know, it works directly into the principles of both biodynamics and permaculture. So on our farm here, even though I started with biodynamics and then went into the permaculture and, and uh, more the design aspects of an efficient farm and, and planting, planting, then we also integrate in the soil science that uh, is actually called ionization analysis that was uh, originated by another one of these genius gentlemen by the name of Terry Reams, which, uh, you know, we could have several shows just on him and his work. And I actually apply the same principles when I test fluids of human bodies when I'm doing medical work, uh, because all biological systems are on the same exact uh, electrical principles. And um, when you understand that, then you understand why agriculture and medicine are really the same darn thing. And, you know, it, it, again, it goes into what Sherry's been involved with, um, with her work because you're looking at electrical waveforms, basically, which are nothing more than tonal fields, uh, you know, vibrations that do create sound. And back, oh, in the 80s, I really started exploring sound work through some uh, sources in Europe. And uh, then in the early mid-90s, I heard of this gifted woman, uh, who was Sherry, um, that was doing some remarkable things and actually the subject of study, uh, you know, by, uh, uh, oh, let's just say some institutionalized think tanks. And so we uh, asked her if she would come out and train our staff because we had a multidisciplinary uh, international clinic in Hawaii at that time. And she was gracious enough to come out. She spent a week with us. And um, she, uh, with what she taught me and trained our staff to do, uh, allowed me to really create uh, the first sound room in our clinic. And, you know, and I still work with sound to this day. Um, so uh, 
just recently, you know, as you're aware, Sherry was on our show and, and it was great reconnecting with her because, you know, I hadn't talked to her since, uh, oh, like the mid nineties. And, um, and that of course was before, uh, computers and everything else. So we do, we did it and what Sherry, uh, we did it much different than you guys do it now. And also what Sherry taught us back then was kind of uh, more old school longhand because we didn't have the benefit of the software and everything that you guys use now. So and, we're on the map there with uh, sound and, right. and agriculture and everything. So forgive yeah, yeah. me, no, but okay. you know, my mind thinks that way because it's all one and the same thing for me. Right. Well, that's again, that's a whole, that, but yet another show is talking about the, in my mind, the equivalencies of microbiome in the soil as well as microbiome of the gut and how we're all really one. But again, that's, as they say, a separate show. Um, I'll ask a question about you talking about balancing the electrical charge of the soils. Do you do some of that adjusting by using minerals or electrolytes to get to help the, the flow and the charge change, alter, or improve? Absolutely, we do. And, um, you know, we, we do have to go back to just um, adding physical, what people consider as physical elements cements to the soil. But the way it's done is not in a conventional sense where you do soil testing and you say, oh, we need, uh, you know, more minerals or more nitrogen, uh, you know, and it's the big three, uh, you know, in conventional agriculture. And, and, you know, I did certifications through Oregon State University, which was okay, you know, and, uh, you know, not to denigrate what they're doing, but it's more of an institutionalized conventional approach. But we went through that training just, um, uh, just to, uh, you know, uh, great connections. And we actually teach for them, uh, you know, different programs, my wife and myself, uh, some programs in Oregon State University now, uh, which is a different subject. But um uh, they would, you know, in the conventional sense, look at, okay, you need more of this kind of particular fertilizer and whether you're talking organic or not, it's, it's more just a chemical medium is what makes things tick. So when we do our ionization analysis, you're really coming at it from a different understanding. And what I do is some pretty elaborate uh, testing on the soil. And um, then you plug in uh, you know, reading you get, which are going to involve, uh, you know, a number of different chemicals. But then you put those numbers into a mathematical equation. And then that equation tells you ratios of something, which then is going to tell you what the electrical resistance of the soil is. And what you want to do is coach the soil back to its line of least resistance. And what we mean by that is in electrical terms, it's, it's like zero point uh, technology because biological systems, whether you're looking at a human body or the soil of the earth, it's a living electrical system. And when you have no impedance that's uh, you know, true, when you have a line of least resistance, then, um, you know, information, uh, in other words, energy fields or informational fields, we would call them in the computer age here, um, travel, uh, you know, very efficiently. Uh, things are communicating properly. And then the soil uh, on an electrical level uh, uh, is allowed to adjust to the same, what we would call the micronage of the rootlets of plants. And then those plants in turn have a very, uh, you know, unimpeded uh, communication system of absorbing the energy fields from the electrical fields of the soil. And, you know, in, um, even in some traditional organic service, say, well, you know, if you plant a certain thing here, then you want to field lie fallow for a while or grow some other things to fix the nitrogen and and they're always rotating crops, and, and they think that's a good idea. Well, in reality, if you look at the, uh, you know, nature out there, you don't have crops uh, migrating, uh, you know, to different areas or trees jumping around. They create a little community. They um, develop uh, that communication within the soil with each other, and that's the way things stay. So in, in more advanced agriculture and doing it from an understanding of electrical properties, 
when you're growing things, you want to create your farming so that you have plant communities that, you know, once they're established, you don't tamper with them because they've uh, actually developed uh, the electrical communication network within the cell between the plants so that things are thriving uh, perfectly if you just don't tamper with them that much and you get much better yield you uh, have. So in the process, you aren't depleting the soil. You're actually doing the opposite where the plants are giving back as much as they're taking. Uh, so you have a, a good soil base for generations. And the, the thing is too, is when the micronage of the soil is adjusted properly with these techniques, um, you have uh, uh, an abundance or, or a nutrient density that you cannot find even in organic foods because organic foods, uh, even though they're largely free from GMOs and pesticides, things we definitely want to avoid, uh, they're grown within a conventional technique or mindset and they really only have about a third of the nutrient density that they should have and that actually makes them toxic. So uh, that's something that people don't consider. And the reason why they're actually toxic is if they lack the proper minerals and especially certain kinds of minerals because they aren't able to um, absorb them from the soil because they aren't grown properly, then that affects our body and our mineral content that we need to do the same. And then that uh, creates faulty digestion, that creates uh, a situation in our gut you know, where people are talking a lot about, you know, gut health these days where, uh, you know, the microbes in our own uh, body are out of balance. And then you have all these other syndromes that, that fall with that leaky gut and so forth. Uh, not because you're getting uh, poisons the way we think of them, but because we have a deficiency of things because uh, foods do not have proper nutrient density. And that uh, actually includes organic foods. So what we're trying to do with our techniques in the ionization analysis is farmers, uh, for, uh, small farmers especially, because we need to decentralize farming and uh, return to a really knowledge-based way of farming that uh, will provide the proper nutrition and improve people's health. Because if you have proper food grown properly, uh, you know, that's the, that's the first uh, uh, way our medical system uh, should, should lean towards is, is by way of agriculture because agriculture is going to fix more health problems in the world than any doctor possibly could. Sorry, I was thinking about what a fantasy would be to go to a doctor a Western medicine traditional approach doctor, and have them actually start the conversation by asking about how's your diet? What are you eating? How are you feeling? How's it working for you? Living on those, you know, impossible burger. There's one. There's a good one I could rant about for a long time. The glyphosate. What a revolutionary idea. Yeah. Actually, well, let me... This isn't where I was going to go, but it leads me here. I know in your studies you looked at oriental medicines and and that kind of dynamic. Now, those are cultures, most of those cultures, they cook with herbs. They cook with plant food and, let's say, tonics, long-term beneficial effect herbs. They just cook with them is part of their food. So they're eating not only things from the earth, they're eating a lot of root vegetables, which are directly from the earth, really buried in there deeply. Not that other plants don't grow on the earth, but I'm very fond of roots, burdock, and all those kinds of things. And so they actually cook with them, so they have them in their culture because in a lot of those cultures, they can't afford to go to doctors. So they really have to maintain their own health, and they do it, I think, partially by they eat stuff every day that has what we would term as medicinal or long-term beneficial effects. Did did we ever have that here in the Americas, and it went away, or how did we get here? I think certain cultures that migrated here did have that, but then... um 
you know, for all the strengths of this country that we are a marvelous melting pot, um, you know, we tend to lose a lot of those original wisdoms from those cultures. You know, I consider myself fortunate in that I did grow up in a different culture because I'm second generation. And so I grew up with uh, broken English and different kinds of foods. And, and then, of course, we were rural based and everything. Well, most of the things we ate, we grew ourselves. And, you know, we didn't have an academic discussion as far as uh, nutrition and chemical or, or especially electrical elements, but everybody just instinctively ate correctly. And our garden, you know, was more abundant in herbs probably than anything else. And, you know, if mom was cooking something, she'd just say, hey, can you run out, get me some whatever herb and you know, not only did you have it growing year round, whatever you needed, but, uh, you know, as kids, we knew what, uh, we knew what they smelled like. We, we understood, uh, how to pick things and, and, you know, just how to manage garden. That's just something we grew up with. And, uh, you know, my ancestors, even though they weren't talking about health, everybody just naturally, uh, lived into their hundreds and, and then if one day, uh, you know, they're 111 and they fell asleep one night and didn't wake up, everybody was surprised that grandpa died last night. So, um, you know, they, so in other words, when they were older, they didn't walk around all stooped over and uh, look old at all. Their minds were sharp and, you know, and, and that's just a product of old school culture where people just had a relationship with the earth. So. You know, it, you don't have to really get that mental about it, but people from these uh, other cultures, you know, and Asian cultures, which I studied a lot uh, in my Asian medical studies, um, they just had this instinctive awareness that was born from the fact that they never had their connection with the earth interrupted. And if you look at us today, we think we're pretty advanced because we have devices and technology but when's the last time the average person just went out and, uh, y you know, sat and unplugged and, and got quiet and, and listened to nature, let alone living in nature, uh, you know, most of the time. It's, it's pretty rare these days. So it's easy to understand why we've lost that connection. And then, you know, as far as doctors are concerned, you know, my original training was conventional. I did a certification at Stanford Medical School and worked a few years in um, emergency medicine and um, in some nativized there. And then uh, from there, I went to a four naturopathic college and then continued on after that chiropractic co uh, college. And I did that because uh, naturopaths back in the late 70s uh, weren't certified in the state of California. So chiropractic allowed me to have a uh, an alternative license. It was good, but I ended up going to all those different certifications because uh, each one of them I found, you know, had a little piece of the puzzle. And I, and my experience is that no single medical school or even uh, the postdoctoral training I've done, uh, you know, had the whole thing. And, you know, uh, what we need is medical schools that not only people or doctors to be true full doctors the way they were a few thousand years ago, where the old masters, you know, chose it as, uh, or, uh, or their parents even chose it because they recognized certain qualities of children. Uh, they were, uh, you know, not in a business or a job, but it was their vocation. And they spent their entire uh, learning, you know. So when you did, went to, when you did go to the village doctor, you had um, a, a, a person that would not just stick needles in you in Asia, you know, as an acupuncturist, but he, he knew how to reach energy, uh, you know, he knew how to coach you nutritionally, how to use uh, herbs as a master herbalist, uh, he set bones, um, you know, and basically reads you like a book, and we don't have schools that teach doctors how to do that, because everybody needs to get through whatever core training they're in, and finish their specialization so they can go out and make a buck. And, and, and I get it. We, you know, we all have to make a living. But, you know, that's why doctors uh, of all types don't just uh, sit down and, and, and just start uh, asking you questions about your lifestyle 
Uh, and and then, you know, in my earliest training in conventional medicine, if you go there, it's kind of weird. You know, what what does that have to do with anything? Because what we want to do is diagnose, uh, uh, you know, what they consider some kind of disease or malady that's victimizing you rather to maybe suggest that you have something to do with it in the first place. So, um hmm. Yeah, we've we've uh, strayed pretty far, but the good news is is um, we're getting back there, and simply because a lot of people right now are recognizing in present time that uh, what we've been doing isn't working so well, and you know, in our area here, we've got a permaculture guild that we've started, and and uh, more and more people, younger people, that are being attracted to. Uh, you know, just reconnecting and growing things and, and focusing on their health and finding out what really makes things tick. So optimistic, um, but of course we do have certain that would, um, let's just say, rather we didn't succeed because it's not good for their bottom line, but, you know, um, that'll take care of itself too. <laughs> self-cleansing system in a certain way do you exactly. think uh, well I, let me let me back up by just putting this in as a as a thing for me uh, i had a grandmother that lived to be 106 and very much like what you're talking about you know just one day oh grandma's dead there wasn't she didn't convulse she didn't she just kind of wore out and died at 106 and she was active until the end it wasn't like she became feebled or something. She was out sweeping the snow off her porch when she was in her hundreds. And I think part of that is, which actually I'll lead, leads me to this question. Do you think that the ancients, and I could even just mean my grandmother. Now, she died in the 80s, so she was born in the 1900s. Actually, the late 1800s. So do you think that people from even just as far back as the 1800s or or further, had as much itis as we seem to have today? And could you define itis? You have a whole great thing talking about arthritis. But the itises, we seem to have a lot of itis now. Did the people 100 years ago or 200 years ago have so much itis? No, not at all. And the great mythology is how we're the pinnacle of health now through modern medicine and the pharmaceutical industry. And uh, our life expectancies right now are plummeting. And uh, of course, we need to be taught a narrative that somehow what's being done now is good for us and actually working because, you know, that, that's what drives the profit margin. But in reality, we're sicker than ever. Now, there were periods of history prior where people were subjected to very harsh conditions and uh, because of that also weren't able to, um, you know, have the healthiest of lifestyle or, the, or proper nutrition. And uh, there, there were phases where people died very young. But if you look at the totality of our history, and even, uh, you know, within the last couple hundred years, populations of people thrived much more readily than they do now and had less uh, what we would consider disease. And, you know, what, what we talk about a lot on our podcast is that there really is no such thing as disease. And when you look at every medical terminology that I had to learn when I was in school, uh, those are just words. And those words... Uh, foster uh, superstition that there are these entities that exist in nature like arthritis that somehow have a life of their own and just pounce on you at a certain time of your life when you're older for no good reason. And then, of course, uh, rather than understand it, it's actually a uh, biological process that is in response to something else that has been put in play that we could have avoided in the first place, uh, you know, with better education, uh, then we're taught that, well, you're, you're a victim and you've got this thing now. And then, of course, the human key will, you know, develop a belief system about that. And when you get into some of the other things we talk about as far as waveform mechanics, then how our consciousness creates a whole shebang in the first place. 
um, you know, then we tend to own that um, diagnostic terminology and it just becomes uh, a real vicious circle and a, a self-fulfilling process. And, um, you know, in reality, if we understood how things really work, or doctors especially, then rather than being so uh, determined to come up with a word to tell people so that they can then prescribe some kind of recipe that they're taught in medical school, we would instead uh, understand or help people understand how we got there and explain that, no, you are not a victim of a disease. This is why your body is um, responding with these symptoms and this is what it's responding to. Here's how we can mitigate uh, those conditions. And then uh, what we employ in bioterrain medicine, which is no different than the soil science we do with agriculture, uh, we uh, help people understand how to create their inter internal ecology back to a more pristine state so that the body doesn't have to respond in symptoms. And uh, what's nice not only do bodies tend to, uh, you know, uh, be more symptom-free so that your life is more pleasant, but that opens up um, other aspects of our being where, uh, you know, we start tapping into other potentials that uh, most people can't even fathom that we have in the first place. And, of course, I believe uh, like the old Pythagoreans used to teach, that uh, medicine is a sacred science that uh, is not about fixing symptoms and disease, but a vehicle to help people explore their greater potentials and get in touch with why they're in this situation in the first place. It makes me think of the very first time I heard Bruce Lipton lecture a long time ago when he wrote his first book, The Biology of Belief. He talked about the term dogma in Western medicine teachings. And dogma was something that there were givens in Western medicine, so dogmatic beliefs, meaning two plus two is four, only this has to do with health. And it was a given that there were, there were dogmatic beliefs taught in medical schools so that they had a fixed belief about something. And I think that's along the lines of exactly what you're talking about, where we, I, I've known people that have been fine, maybe an ache or something, and they go to the doctor. The doctor says, you have something, itis. And then suddenly the person's whole everything changes. They go totally into the, my doctor told me I have this, or cholesterol and statins. But again, that's another show. But it's that dogmatic thing where they give us a fixed belief of here is your diagnosis of what you have. And then, again, back to, for me, along the lines of Bruce Lipton, I... I have the phrase about our cells are listening. So we get a diagnosis. We're told by our doctor that we have this. And then we keep, we get into that mantra of telling ourselves, oh, I have that, I have that, I have that. And I think that's part of what I, I one of the aspects I like about what you're doing is it's a change of thinking and how that exactly. alters things. Do, do you measure that? Is there a way that you can measure that? Is there an electrical charge to observing that when, well, I said, this is a two-sided question. Can you alter it by getting people on a biodynamic permaculture diet so the electrical charge in their system improves? Can that kind of bump that belief out? Does that question make sense? No, it makes perfect sense because when you treat the body properly and understand it as not a electricals and a bag of bones, but realize that those are after, you know, what we're taught in medical school as far as the physicality of the body are, and, and things that we measure in labs, you know, uh, liver enzymes, that sort of thing, and say, oh my God, they're elevated, therefore you have this. What we're not appreciating it, those are after effects of electrical charges 
or electrical forces that uh, we collectively and individually have actually put into play. You know, I'm a big fan of people like him because he's done a marvelous job in bringing certain concepts to the mainstream and getting people thinking about things. And what we're endeavoring to do, uh, you know, in our circles is to make it really understandable um, that, you know, what used to be considered metaphysics, we actually have the science now so that you don't have to, um, you know, think of your spiritual life or what we term metaphysics as some kind of woo-woo or something that you have an instinctual awareness about but isn't really real because it's something you can't see. Well, we can explain exactly how those electrical forces work and how we put them into play ourselves, uh, you know, much like Bruce uh, describes using slightly different language. And, um, you know, we are supposed to be right now in the age of transmutation, and we are doing things um, already with certain technologies where we can impart certain frequencies and, um, and electrical voltage on the means, especially in things like water, where we can change the properties so that it takes on the property of another element. And when you understand, uh, for instance, just in basic chemistry, the elements themselves are electrical frequencies uh, and vibrations, and which is tonal fields, which gets back into the sound work that you guys are involved with. And, um, and when you understand that, you'll also understand that in the soil, these are transmuting uh, properties and going through uh, phases and cycles so that one element becomes another element and there's transition between. And those are all the things that we pay attention to, um, you know, in bodies and changing the properties of the soil. So to answer your question, yeah, we have uh, means, uh, chemical assays, where we we go um, you know certain chemical constituents that we find in soil human samples, and but then we understand how to extrapolate that into electrical terms and then tweak things electrically. And also we have instruments were created by physicists like there's one called a Lecker uh, antenna, that was developed by uh, an Austrian uh, engineer that was then later adapted um, you know. Uh, into certain medical circles uh, used by medical doctors uh, starting in France and, and other places in the world where we take, um, you know, like samples of blood, for instance, and, and even though the engineers are actually reading ley lines in the earth and building skyscrapers and, and bridges, you know, by using this simple antenna that can read electrical waveforms, you can read those same waveforms from a drop of blood find out where the asymmetries are, just like Sherry can find the, the tonal fields missing in a person's voice and, and a whole lot more. Well, in a drop of blood, we can find out where those asymmetries on a pure electrical level are and then uh, match certain substances, not just dietary, but different uh, spiritual medicines, herbal, homeopathy, and a number of other modalities that will then return the, the faulty waveforms that are aberrant, uh, not because of anything other than they're the product of our own consciousness and belief systems and toxic emotions and things that we've put into place, but oh, it, it's not our bad. We're just never taught, um, you know, how things really work. And so with, um, you know, those kind of interventions, uh, not only does the best start, uh, you know, behaving itself more than we would prefer, but then the energy systems within the body and, and the central nervous system start acting in a more efficient way. Our nervous systems are at the, in the process coached to be um, turned more to their natural state, which is like a superconductor. And when those energy states are, uh, you know, more headed in that direction, um, then we're able to perceive with our central nervous system into greater bandwidth of reality. And we start waking up to um, things within ourselves that we never noticed before and also things that we think of as external to us. And that's uh, you know, when we not only 
you know, improve our what we think of as our physical health, but we start just asking different questions about what the heck we're doing here in the first place. I'm going to jump slightly here because I'm I'm stunned to find that we're we're not at the end, but we're closing in on it. I want to ask you about inflammation and using such things as now now in, inflammation is an indicator of something. And I know one of the ways that we can help the body with inflammation is using something like serapeptase, which is a plant-derived enzyme, or we can use something old school like Wobenzymes, which was an enzyme you used to have to smuggle in from Germany now that you can just buy on Amazon. Or I know one of, you're a big fan of C60. So, you could talk, so could you talk about inflammation what it can be an indicator of, and what of those I named, the serapeptase, well enzymes, or C60, what you might use as a protocol or suggest? Mm -hmm. Well, first, remember, inflammation is not an entity that exists in nature or something that attacks us when we get older or when we get injured. It's a response to something else. So when you understand what it's a response to and you know just just because older people tend to hurt more you know and i'm in that geriatric demographic myself um you know i can say firsthand you don't have to hurt when you get old you can be as supple and functional as when you were in your 20s and the reason why we tend to hurt more when we get older is because just have more of an opportunity, you know, the more years they live in a body to pick up a lot of excess baggage and never understand uh, how they got it or that they're carrying it in the first place. And so when you get say, oh, my God, I'm getting older, I just have itis. And, uh, you know, then you take stuff and whether it's a pharmaceutical anti-inflammatory or whether you're taking something like turmeric, which is a great natural alternative. You still want to go back and um, find out how you got there in the first place, you know, make lifestyle adjustments and, and thinking adjustments and, you know, and things on all sorts of levels that will nip the, the whole, um, you know, uh, thing that got you there in the first place. But in the meantime, yeah, there's a lot of great things that can um, help quite a bit. My choice uh, these days is carbon steel. And it's not all we use, and I don't um, ever say that there's a silver bullet that's going to fix you from outside or that's going to, uh, you know, be the panacea for everything and everybody. But for sure, uh, 60 uh, so far and what we can validate through research, it works uh, very efficiently as an, uh, and I hate to use this term, an anti-inflammatory. Um, and, uh, you know, like 700 times stronger than vitamin C and, and better than anything, uh, you know, that we've experienced so far. And the real efficacy of um, CARB-60 is that it actually repairs DNA and uh, elongates the, the terminal end strands of DNA called telomeres. Uh, you know, so that uh, lifespans of test animals and we're even seeing it in real life with people now. It seems like people are really undoing a lot of those uh, things that seem to occur in age. You know, uh, you know, test animals are living longer and then people that are taking it seem to be, uh, you know, turning the time clock back a little bit. Now, to really understand how C60 works, and this is the temptation of all of us in the chemical sciences um, tend to fall prey to is that we always return to saying, well, it's an anti-inflammatory, antioxidant uh, properties. But in reality, those are after effects of how it really works. And I don't think we have to go into it totally, but um, the real efficacy of carbon C is how it works as far as imparting a repolarization effect to the waveforms that uh, create every cell and nuance in your body because carbon and especially this transitionary form of carbon as Buckminster Fuller found when he discovered it in the first place, 
Um, it's, it's if you look at a waveform, understand every element is a certain angulation on a waveform and carbon, uh, because it's the backbone of the octave of human consciousness, it's, it's perpendicular. So it's like a tent pole that's straight up in the air and it's the most stable, it provides the most stable waveform. So, um, you know, just try to get the gist of that for now. But when you take this very potent um, repolarization effect, again, it's affecting you electrically most powerfully, then it's going to repolarize your cells. And when we get sick and old and all that sort of thing, our cells actually start losing their charge. You can measure them. They'll start falling below 70 milliamps. And then you take something like carbon-60 or you do a modality like pulsed electromagnetic frequencies, you know, both to repolarize your cells, you remeasure the cells, and now they're above 90, and it's like putting in some fresh uh, batteries into your flashlight, and you got a nice strong beam. So uh, carbon-60 is really good in recharging us, uh, you know, on uh, with electrical properties. And uh, Asian medicine, they call it absolute yang, or, uh, you know, just that more robust energy uh, you know, within uh, the physical realm, it's like the sun high in the sky, noonday, and, and you know, it, it all falls back whether you're looking at the external uh, environment or ourselves uh, down to the cellular level. It's all about electrical waveforms. And if you understand how to approach health and disease from that understanding, not only can you use physical means more effectively. But you can choose mediums that you know work on that level more powerfully. Carbon-60 happens to be the best thing so far. But then, you know, you have to understand how to take that, too. So you don't want to just go take a boatload. It's in Asian medicine, we'd say it's very young. And a good advanced physician is going to be able to, uh, you know, if you do recommend it, then you do it in a certain way where you're balancing out uh, both sides of the polarities, you know, and not just getting overly young because then you can have issues there too. So it is a bit of a chess match. And unfortunately, most doctors aren't um, trained to think on all those levels simultaneously, but there are a few out there that are getting the hang of it. And could we measure C60 by using something like a, I want to say volmeter, but that's not quite right. The meter, that, there are a number of different subtle energy medicine meters that you would hold in your hand. I'm trying to think of the one where you would hold a metal piece in your hand and then it would go through an instrument that would read and you could add supplements into that circuit to see if it improved or hyper or hypotonistic. Can we see a subtle shift with some kind of instrument when we st when we yeah. take C60? Is there how can we gauge when we've gone too far? Well, I know how I prefer to do it, and to answer your question, yes, there are uh, meters, uh, there are uh, computer software programs that interface, uh, you know, and you do get readings, and 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 you do get some good information in a number of ways, uh, you know. Uh, Years ago, I first studied with German technologies, uh, Mora units and things that, you know, could uh, measure through the meridians or through electrodes on the body surface and in all manner of ways. The problem I have with all of those things, including some of the really fancy computer-based right, uh, ones that are out there, is that you're introducing current into the body. So you have a little bit of an interference that's going to, uh, I think, you know, affect your reading. And then and with the computer software-based ones, uh, you know, we have to remember that somebody designed that software, which means we're in a box according to the parameters uh, or the paradigm that that software is based on. And so, you know, you really aren't going to um, be able to operate in unlimited fashion there either. So if I go back, uh, you know, and, and talk about a Lecker antenna, for instance, it was developed by that Austrian physicist I mentioned, um, there's no outside electrical force. It's a dual impedance antenna. And, um, uh, you know, when you, when you get good at it, you can take a drop of blood or something. And then, uh, you know, because it's not based on a computer interface, it's not com uh, based on... Um, you know, some kind of input, an electrical current. It's purely, it's sensitive enough to read the pure waveform 
emanating from that body or from a drop of blood. And uh, then you can match things like C60 when you determine the, um, you know, the uh, the waveforms coming from the, that body. And, and you can see what is going to remedy those things. And when you go back in the real physics and you know, the real missing link in physics is a gentleman by the name of Walter Russell. And, and, you know, he just explained more electrical detail how things work, you know, beyond uh, a lot of the old metaphysicians like Steiner. Um, you know, he was able to, de to determine and validate that every waveform that creates everything in our entire universe, including ourselves, has keen dimensions. So this uh, Lecker antenna developed by this uh, physicist um, just coincidentally found that there's uh, that many dimensions on all the waveforms that he was measuring as an engineer. And when I use this, I um, you know, can set the antenna to these different dimensions, find out uh, you know which ones are um, in symmetry, uh, because when those waveforms go into a state of asymmetry, and when we talk about waveforms, we're talking about three-dimensional spirals, and when those spirals are asymmetrical, you're basically, uh, you know, those asymmetries are going to outplay in every nuance of your body to the cellular and, uh, you know, subcellular level, and, uh, you know, that's what eventually create all of our symptoms. So, um, yeah, you can take uh, that instrument. That's just my preference. It's not like everyone's going to pick this up and master it overnight, but it's the only way I know of that can get, uh, you know, the truest reading and then something like C60 and, and see, okay, is this going to have the effect we want on this body? And or after we've taken it for a while, can we measure that body again to see if it's done what we expect it to do? And, and I'm not saying that T60 is the only thing you want to use just, uh, you know, to mention one single remedy. Um, you know, I, I think it's probably one of the more valuable things that people could get these days. I, I hope, hope I your question a little bit. I know we're all over the place there. No, that's okay. That's the way I think. So I'm right alongside you. It's really okay. good. Okay. Um, we are at that. Uh, I, I'm stunned to find we're already here where I have to ask you uh, where would you like people to find out more about your information, your products, your amazing permaculture biodynamic herb blends, as well as I know you do a show of your own, uh, I think, I believe, called AlphaCast. So where would you like people to find out about all of those things? So our website is alphavedic.com. It's A-L-F-A, -A, and then separate word, Vedic, V-E-D-I-C, alphavedic.com. Now, our website is uh, going through a, a morphing this winter, and it's going to reflect more of our agricultural presence and all the things we're doing in the world of agriculture in our farm up here. Uh, we're an off-grid farm, and uh, right now I'm speaking to you on satellite, you know, because the, uh, there's there's no uh, cell service or power lines uh, within, you know, 20, 30 miles from here. Uh, we live in a very clean area, so our uh, website will, you know, kind of reflect what we're doing up here. And what we have is a cooperative, so we're just a company selling products, but what we are doing is um, using that commercial arm to fund uh, our real passion, which is permaculture farming and in its integrative aspects with medicine and more of our educational uh, goals, you know, which is to try to affect positive change on the planet. And um, so alphavedic.com would be the, the best place, but uh, that, that's going to be changing quite a bit. And then what we are doing here is uh, medicinal herbs uh, and, and foodstuffs that, uh, you know, are uh, the basis of our main product line. And because we found that things in the past that I would, you know, get from what I thought were trusted organic sources uh, weren't as vital or as clean as we thought they should be or and sometimes quite surprised that they weren't. So... Um, Oh, I'd say about 10 years ago, we started 
growing things on our first farm. We're in our third farm here, uh, or third year of this farm. And uh, so what we're doing here is pretty soon everything that uh, you get from our web store will be grown on the premises and and uh, recently and everything. And uh, my partner, uh, you know, we have several partners and they're the, more the tech people um, and, you know, that uh, do the podcasting and everything. And they just tell me when to show up. And, and so, <laughs> uh, yeah, other than uh, our website, uh, you know, there's all sorts of other things they've got going, uh, other platforms and use everything from YouTube to live streaming and things, which I don't have on the top of my head, but I think it's all on the website there somewhere. Excellent. Thank you so much. The name of the podcast is uh, AlphaCast, and I found it on Google Play Podcasts. I think it's also available on Apple iTunes, but I'm more of a Google Podcast kind of guy, so I highly recommend it. Thank you so much, Bear. We've, there are so many shows, <laughs> so many possibilities, but thank you very much. That was great. And everybody have a great rest um, of the week, and... We will see you next week. Bye-bye.